Hey guys, welcome to the weekly podcast of Bethel Assembly, Sedalia, Missouri. It's our prayer that this message is an encouragement and a blessing to your life. If you want more information about Bethel Assembly, please go to our website, BethelAssembly.info. Thanks again. I am excited about today. We have been building up to this moment for six months. Think about this just for a moment. We've been building up to this moment for six months. Beginning in January, we began talking about our encounter with the God of the universe, the creator of the world, face-to-face with God. We talked about what does that look like, and then we spent several weeks uh, debunking some of the things that we presume that Jesus either said or we thought that he said when actually he never said them at all. And then we spent about five weeks talking about the part of the Godhead um, that is oftentimes pushed to the side and not really discussed. We talked about the Holy Spirit, and I hope that over the last six months that you've allowed God to begin to speak into your life and, and challenge you and draw you closer to what he'd have you to be. So where do we go from there? We, we've talked about God. We've talked about Jesus. We've talked about the Holy Spirit. Well, this is what we've built up to for the last six months. We're going to dive into a brand new series that we're simply calling Grounded. The non-negotiables in life. Have you ever thought about what are the things that you're not willing to negotiate on? See, what we've got to learn to do is apply the very word of God. In fact, the Bible says that we are not to be just hearers of the word, but we are to be what? Doers of the words. In other words, as we hear the word of God, as we allow the word of God to penetrate our life, we can't hoard it, we can't bottle up, we can't just hold on to it, but we've got to utilize it for the furthering of his kingdom. That's what we're going to process over the next five weeks. How do we go about digging down deep and planting the roots so when the storms of life come, when the struggles of life come, we aren't wavered in any form or any fashion. In fact, the Bible says this, John, uh, James 4, 17. Remember, it is what? Well, you guys kind of hesitated on that. Let, let's try that one more time. Remember, it is sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. It is sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. I fear that that's where so many are in today's culture. We're satisfied with just going through the motions. We're satisfied with just coming to church and just hanging out. We're satisfied with check marking our tradition or our routine off the list, but we fail to really apply the Word of God. We fail to really understand what are the non-negotiables, what are the things that I'm not willing to compromise on in my life. One of my favorite books, I've read it several times and taught through it several times, is called Primal. It's by a pastor by the name of Mark Batterson. In the book, he says this, we have accepted a form of Christianity that is more educated but less powerful. Would you agree with that? 
We've accepted a form of Christianity that is more educated but less powerful, more civilized but less compassionate, more acceptable but less authentic than that which our spiritual ancestors practiced. Have we, by default, found ourselves with way more head knowledge and much less heart connection than our spiritual ancestors. I fear that we have made our relationship with Jesus, listen carefully to this, I fear that we've made our relationship with Jesus more into a personal preference or convenience, and we've missed the mark of a true non-negotiable commitment or encounter with God. That's what we're going to look at over the next several weeks. What steps do we need to take individually and and personally in order to draw that definitive line in the sand and refuse to cross it ever again? Did, Did you hear that? What steps do we need to... Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about the the line in the sand? Have you ever thought about the non-negotiables? Have you ever thought about the things that that you're not willing to compromise on? I want to process through that over the next several weeks and, and draw that line and individually say, you know what, I'm not willing to cross that line again. Google.com defines non-negotiable as this, not open for discussion or modification. What is it in your connection with Jesus Christ that is not open for discussion, that is not willing to be modified? I I would venture to say that many of us have never really thought about that question before. We're very quick to discover what others should or shouldn't do. We'll point that out rather quickly. But when it comes to ourselves, we tend to have a a different scale or, quite honestly, sometimes not a scale at all. Throughout this series, I want to take the time to truly discover what is this list in your life? What are the non-negotiables in your life? But we're also going to take the time to create a personal mission statement. Now, I hear some of you, well, pastor, we already have a mission statement for the church. Isn't that enough? And the answer to that question is, no, not a bit. You see, we can have a clear understanding what the church stands for, but if we fail to know who we are individually, then there will be no clear boundaries as to what we are willing to do or even not willing to do. Well, we could go as far as to blame the corporate church. We could say, well, the corporate church has begun to embrace the culture rather than chase after God. And, and I would say, yeah, we could probably create some form of case in many situations. But if we're honest with ourselves, the problem is not so much with the church as it is with us personally and individually. We've lost sight of the urgency of a committed relationship with God. 
a true encounter with him. The problem is we're not great at the great commandments. In fact, I'm not even sure we're good at the great commandments. Do you remember what the great commandment is? The Pharisees were trying to trap Jesus. They were trying to get him to, to say something that they could, one side or the other could rally against him on. And they said, what is the greatest commandment of all? And he took all the 600 plus laws and routines and, and rituals that they had set in motion and he narrowed it down to this one basic idea. And it's found in Mark chapter 12. It's the great commandment. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. That is the great commandment. And I fear that we're not really even good at this. Well, I love God with all my heart on Sunday morning. I love God with all my mind on Sundays. You know, oftentimes when I run into a person in the community, one of the very first questions I ask them is, Hey, where do you go to church? So I want to know, is there some sort of connection there? But soon we'll get into a deeper conversation because it's not just about where you show up on a Sunday morning. It's about where your heart's connected. We must love the Lord our God with all of our heart, our soul, our mind, our strength. Again, in the book Primal by Mark Batterson, he makes this statement. It's much easier to act like a Christian than it is to react like one. Would you agree with that? It's easier to put that mask on. It's easier to put that front on, to come into church on a Sunday morning when all the other Christians are there. And it's easy to act like a Christian in that moment. But what happens when the rubber meets the road? What happens when conflict comes your way? What happens when the storms of life rage up against you? How are you going to react? So I ask you today, which are you doing in your life? Are you acting like a Christian? Or are you reacting like a Christian? What does that look like for you? See, I believe there are things that we've got to be willing to never, ever waver on. There's got to be a line that we've got to be willing not to cross. We've got to find ourselves coming to the place that we are grounded, that we are rooted, that we have this deep connection with God, that we love Him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. You see, when, when we love God with all that is in us, when we love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, then suddenly everything else will lay out. Everything else will begin to fall in place. Why? Because suddenly we have the heartbeat of God. Suddenly our pulse radiates the very heartbeat of God Almighty, our Creator, our Lord, our God, our Savior. So this morning for the next few moments, I want to talk about compromise. What are the dangers of compromise? You see, oftentimes we categorize sin. We say, well, there's the big ones. I would never, ever, 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 ever kill somebody. Never. But what about your words? See, the Bible says that the tongue has the power of life and of death. 
See, I could go on with everything we think is a big sin, and I can counteract it with something else, because there's always a level of compromise that leads us down that difficult path. So three dangers of compromise. Number, number one is this. Compromise can be destructive because often it's subtle. Have you ever noticed that? Man, before you know it, you'll find yourself slowly slipping into this trap. Compromise is oftentimes very subtle. It begins with a bit of temptation. Yet we make statements like this. Well, pastor, I would never do that. I'd never do this. That's far off of my list of acceptable things. But I ask you, is it really? 1 Corinthians chapter 10 says it this way. If you think you are standing strong, be careful not to fall. If you think you're standing strong, be careful not to fall. And I wonder, have we put too much stock in ourselves? Have we relied upon ourselves too much? Listen to this next statement. Every Samson who's laid with Delilah, every David who betrayed his Uriah, every Judas who sold out his Jesus began his downfall with a thought. I would venture to say that, that Judas, when he betrayed Jesus, he didn't set out the moment Jesus says, come follow me. He didn't set out going, I got this. I'm going to betray him. I'm going to turn him over. This is going to be great. No. But it began with a little thought. Every Samson who laid with Delilah, every David who betrayed his Uriah, every Judas who sold out his Jesus began his downfall with a thoughts. Compromise is oftentimes very subtle. It begins as a slight temptation, and whether you want to believe it or not, temptation is going to occur in your life. If you're not currently facing it, hold on sooner or later, it will come your way. No one is above temptation. I don't care who you are, I don't care how old you are, I don't care how long you've been coming to church, I don't care how many years you've been a Christian, how many chapters of the Bible you read, how many hours you pray every day, sooner or later you will be faced with temptation. Jesus, our Savior himself, was faced with temptation. So I ask you, how will you respond when temptation comes knocking at your door? I want you to know today that compromise is a slippery slope. It will lead to destruction every time if it's not resolved. Never, ever play, never pamper, never flirt with temptation. For if you do, it will eventually crush you and kill you. You will not win. Listen carefully. You will not win if you give temptation a part of your life. Let me say that again. Some of you need to hear that. You will not win if you give temptation a part of your life. Learn to take it seriously. Hate it, resist it, run from it at its earliest appearance. Rid yourself of the temptation. Go to God's word. Hide his word in your heart. Apply it every time temptation comes your way. Only by doing so will you overcome that temptation. 
Ephesians chapter 6, one of my favorite sections of Scripture, says this, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. In other words, we don't battle against one another. My battle's not against you, your battle's not against her, and your battle's not against him. We're not fighting against one another. Our struggle, there's a spiritual battle going on, spiritual warfare, whether you believe it or not, that's happening every day. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, Put on the full armor of God. So when the day of evil comes, you'll be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm. I would encourage you, if you're battling right now, if you're facing spiritual warfare, go back to Ephesians chapter 6. One by one, go through the spiritual armor. Let God clothe you in that spiritual armor. But it goes on to say, when you've done everything to stand, Stand firm. In other words, don't waver, don't tiptoe, don't toy with temptation. There's an old saying that we've heard for many years. It says, if you play with fire, you're going to get burned. The same is true with sin. If you give sin a foothold in your life, it will eventually grab a hold of you and lead you to destruction and even death. It's time to define that line. It's time to determine what is that line that I'm not willing to cross. It's time to become grounded in our walk with God and stop playing games. I want to read a story out of the Bible. It's found in 2 Samuel chapter 11. A man by the name of David. Maybe you remember David. He, at one point as a child, he fought Goliath with the stone and the sling. Do you remember that story? David was also the king, so King David. In this moment, he is king. And look what it says in 2 Samuel 11. It says, in the spring of the year, and I want you to listen carefully. There's, a, there's something that occurs here that we're going to process in just a few moments. See if you can grab a hold of it. In the spring of the year, when kings normally go out to war, David sent Joab, the Israelite, and the Israelite army to fight the Amorites. They destroyed the Amorite army and laid siege to the city of Rabbah. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. Late one afternoon, after his midday, midday rest, David got out of bed and was walking on the roof of the palace. He looked over the city and noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. He sent someone to find out who she was and was told she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her, and when she came to the palace, he slept with her. I want you to hold on to that story for a moment. Over the next few moments, we're going to look at a little bit more of compromise, and we're going to see what happened in David's life, and how did this story play out? Our, our first danger is compromise can be destructive, because oftentimes it's, a, it's very subtle, it's a slippery slope. And the second is this, compromise can take you where you didn't plan to go. Compromise can take you where you didn't plan 
to go. There is something that happens in this story that is vitally important, that oftentimes is, is overlooked. You see, we jump from the moment that David looks over the edge of the, this, the wall, the, the top of the, the, the roof of the palace, and he sees this unusually beautiful woman, and, and she's bathing. He, he calls her to his place, and they, they sleep together, and then she becomes pregnant, and she's going to have a child, and then the story begins to unwind, and we're going to talk about that in a moment. But something happened that led us up to this. Did you see what it was? In the spring of the year, when kings normally go to war, David sent Joab, go to the end of that verse, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. This is the unusual part. David should have been leading his army in battle. He had done this many a time before, but this time he chose to stay behind. In other words, David was not where he was supposed to be. How many of you know when you allow yourself to go to a place that you're not supposed to be, you'll find yourself compromising every time? If you struggle with one area, don't go to that area. I mean, I've talked to addicts many times over the years, and I'll tell them, hey, if you're struggling because there's that liquor store between you and the job, you need to take a different route, even if it's a longer route. If you struggle with lust, don't put yourself in a situation where you can succumb to that lustful thought. Whatever that struggle is, whatever that temptation is, don't allow yourself to be in the place that you're not called to be. And that's where David found himself. He was supposed to be with his army. He was supposed to be at battle. He was supposed to be at war, leading like a king should lead. But he found himself staying back, no longer keeping his focus on the battle. He allowed distractions to bring him to the place of compromise. He let down his guard. He got comfortable in the moments. Now remember though, this is the same guy that in 1 Samuel 13, we are told that he is a man after God's own heart. So I struggle in this moment because I see David, a man after God's own heart, in the midst of compromise, and he's not where he's supposed to be, and suddenly he embraces that temptation, and he dives in to sin. Compromise is destructive because it's oftentimes so subtle. That's where David had found himself. You see, the seventh commandment says, thou shalt not commit adultery. David knew this. He knew what it meant to break a command from God. So how did he come to this place of, of committing adultery, of bringing in another man's wife into the palace? Compromise. Compromise. Somehow in his mind, he justified his actions. Have you ever noticed we're real good at justifying our actions? We are. Well, you know, it's, it's not going to hurt anything. It's, it's really not a big deal. I don't do it very often. 
Just every once in a while when I'm really stressed. Just every now and again. It's not a big deal. It's not hurting anybody. No one even knows. Could that have been what David was saying? I mean, all the the warriors are out to battle. Uriah, he's on the battlefield. He's not going to know that I brought his wife to the house. Who cares? It's okay. I'm the king. I can do what I want to. I, I rule this place, right? Justifying his behavior, justifying his action. He deserves this. He's always been good. One little compromise isn't going to make or break anything. The notes in one of my study Bibles said this. You must constantly develop and tend to, we must constantly develop and tend to our personal relationship with God and stay actively involved in his purposes. Let me say that again. We must constantly, constantly, that means non-stopping, that means continuously, that means ongoing. We must constantly develop and tend to our personal relationship with God and stay actively involved in His purpose. Otherwise, how many of you know there's consequences if we don't do what we're called to do? Otherwise, we will tend to become spiritually self-satisfied. Then we will more likely be open to spiritual compromise and failure. What a dangerous, dangerous place as we allow ourselves to go deep into the realm of compromise. That's where David was. He became comfortable in himself. He got his eyes off of the purpose as a king. He became self-reliant to the point that he allowed himself to slip into a place that I imagine that he never planned to go. The Bible tells me in Proverbs chapter 4, it says, Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Guard your heart above all else. Why? Because it determines the course of your life. It determines where you allow yourself to go. It determines what road you choose to go down. Are we taking the needed time to watch over and protect our hearts? Look how Google defines guard. Watch over in order to protect or control. Are are we watching over our heart? Are we protecting our heart? If we don't, the Bible says, Proverbs says, we just read it, it's going to determine what path we go down. I looked up the definition also in Merriam-Webster's, and this is what Merriam-Webster had to say. And I love this. A state in which someone is carefully looking for what? Possible danger. Guard simply means a state in which someone is carefully looking for possible danger, threats, or problems. How many of you know your enemy, Satan, is a liar. 
The Bible says not only is he a liar, but he's the father of lies. He's roaming around looking for those that he can devour. He's looking for an opportunity to pounce. We have a little kitten in our house. Uh, I think the little kitten is possessed. You can just be sitting there and all of a sudden she hunkers down. She wiggles a little bit. I'm not going to demonstrate, but she wiggles a little bit. And then she will, she doesn't just run, she jumps with all fours. Am I telling the truth? And she will just pounce on you with all fours out of nowhere. She was at the vet a while back, and the veterinarian was trying to distract her and gave her some cheese, and the vet turns around, and lo and behold, what does our cat do? Jumps off the examining table right onto the vet's back. That's what Satan tries to do in your life. He gets you distracted for a moment, gets you doing things that you never imagined you'd do. He gets your mind off, your eyes off, your focus off what is vitally important in front of you. Suddenly, you let your guard down, and he jumps with all fours and pounces. But I love this definition because it says we're carefully looking for possible danger. We're carefully looking. We're setting our focus. We're not willing to compromise. Because here's what I've discovered. We are to be proactive in our faith so that we aren't reactive in our failure. We are called to be proactive in our faith so we aren't reactive in our failure. Now, you didn't respond to that nearly like I thought you would. Man, I've been so excited about this one statement all week long. In fact, Chandler and I, my son and I, were sitting in the, in the living room watching TV the other night. And I said, hey, you've got to hear this. Look, listen to what God gave me this week. We've got to be proactive in our faith so we're not reactive in our failure. And he goes, oh, that's good. But you guys just sat here like, oh, yeah, that's great. Just keep going. It's almost lunchtime. Come on. How do I know this? How can I make such a statement? Because the Bible says in Psalm 119, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Lord, Lord, I've allowed your word to to penetrate every morsel of my being. God, I have allowed your truth to reign so deep inside of me so when the struggles of life come, when the temptation comes knocking at the door, when the opportunity lies in front of me, I know which way to turn. I know which way to stand because I've been determined to guard my heart, to look for those obstacles, to look for those possibilities of of struggle, to look for those temptations, to look for the hurts that are in front of me. I've been trained to guard myself so when the day of evil comes, I can stand firm on the ground, solid in Jesus Christ. James chapter 4, so humble yourself. Say humble yourself before God. Resist the devil and he will what? Flee from you. Come close to God. Man, this one's jam-packed. God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. By the way, if you don't eat or wash your hands before lunch, I'm just saying Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Did you see all of this? We've got to hide his word in our hearts. Why? Because your heart's what determines the pathway of your life. Submit yourself 
to God. Resist the enemy. Draw close to God. Purify yourself. Be proactive in motion. Be proactive in faith. Be diligent to dig in and dig down and become grounded in the Word of God so that the non-negotiables in life will be true in your mind, that you'll know which way to turn, that you'll know where to stand, that you aren't willing to compromise. Dangers of compromise, they're very subtle. Compromise will take you where you never planned to go, and that's where David found himself. And danger number three, compromise can lead to a deeper sin. Compromise can lead to a deeper sin. Uriah, who was Bathsheba's husband, He was one of David's mighty men, mighty warriors. He lived near the palace, had gone off to war with the other troops. Bathsheba, his wife, was spotted bathing herself by the king. But David already had many wives. But suddenly looking over the rooftop and seeing Bathsheba bathe herself, it aroused David. He had her brought to him, and they committed adultery. But as things happened, Bathsheba became pregnant. David had to do something. Bathsheba was pregnant with the king's baby. Her husband was off to war. Uriah was fighting for David. So this threatened to uncover the affair. David had to think fast. If news of the affair became knowledge in the public, it would be a major embarrassment to the kingdom. It might jeopardize his rule, but David had an easy solution. This is simple. Bring Uriah back. I'll wine and dine him here in the palace and I'll send him home to be with his wife. They will do what husbands and wives do. I'll send him back to war, and no one will ever know what I did. But Uriah didn't take the bait. He tried this a couple times, and it just wasn't working. Uriah said, how can I go home and be with my wife when my fellow warriors are out in battle? So suddenly this sin became deeper and deeper and darker. David had another idea. He allowed Uriah to take a messenger, a message to the head of the army. And in that message it said, put Uriah on the front line. And as the enemies begin to attack, pull back the rest of the army and leave Uriah there. In other words, Make sure that Uriah dies. How many of you know that a little compromise can take you places you never thought you would go? Oh, pastor, it's just, it's just a little white lie. It's not a big deal. I know I'm talking about it, but it's not really gossip. It's a prayer request. 
I know I'm stirring trouble, but you know what? It's okay because I want to get my way. I know I really shouldn't be looking at that, but no one really knows, so it's okay. I, I, I can do it anyway. I, I know that I shouldn't be doing that, but it, it's all right. Gets deeper and deeper and deeper. David has Uriah killed. He thought that his secret was safe, that no one was ever going to know. He took care of the issue. But how do you know that there's always a consequence? God sends Nathan to expose David. David was found out. He repented before God. But he was trapped by Nathan first. This very troubling, embarrassing moment that David hoped to avoid came back to him with interest. His reign was threatened by his son Absalom. David simply wanted to act like the other kings. He wanted to have Bathsheba brought to him. She had unusual beauty. He acted like the other kings, murdering people for his own well-being. And I'm certain that if you would have asked David prior to this incident, he would have said, this is never on my radar of things that I would do. Remember, he was a man after God's own heart. We look at this story and we see a great message of God's grace. We see a great message of God's mercy. But on a deeper level, we see the importance of a life of integrity. Remember, sin starts with a look. In David's case, a look, an adultery, and now murder. It starts with a single thought. But you might be saying, well, pastor, it's my life. It's my life. It's not your life. It's my life. Well, if you're a Christian... Not so much. Because 1 Corinthians says, you do not belong to yourself. For God brought, bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body. If you consider yourself a Christian, if you consider yourself a follower of Christ, then you have been bought with a high price. God paid a high price for you. What was that price? He put Jesus on the cross. He allowed Jesus to die. The ultimate death for you. And because of that price, we are called to honor God with our life, to honor God with our body. So I challenge you today, will you draw a line in the sand? Will you begin to set the non-negotiables in life? Over the next several weeks, I want you to make this a matter of prayer. God, where do I draw the line? Let me be grounded in you and you alone. Let me be proactive in my faith so I don't find myself reactive in my failure. God, help me to know what are the non-negotiables in my life. See, on week three of this series, we're going to take the time and we're going to write personal mission statements. I'm not writing yours. I already wrote mine. I wrote mine in 2005. But I'm going to talk to you about what is a personal mission statement. How do you go about 
discovering that. But I would encourage you, over the next several weeks, begin to pray, God, what do I stand for? God, what am I not willing to compromise on? I'm telling you, church, it's time for the people of God to begin to take this relationship seriously. We see a culture, we see a society that is doing anything but take it serious. There's compromise all around. But we have got to come to that place that we define what does that road look like and we guard our hearts against evil. Are you willing to draw a line in the sand?